So I begin with full disclosure. I have a nonprofit consulting firm, and the services we provide do, in fact, include CEO coaching. And as with all of my work, I feel like I often get way more than I give. The folks I've coached over the years have taught me quite a lot. I've learned that leaders committed to professional development are, in fact, the best kind of leaders. They know that support perspective and actionable advice helps them up their game and is key to job satisfaction and retention. I think it's time, maybe long overdue, to talk about just how important professional development for these folks who have raised their hand to step onto the field and repair our broken world, how important professional development for these folks is. Feeding the hungry, advocating for those who've not gotten a fair shake, offering a bed and a hot meal to a homeless neighbor, researching the cure for an illness, being there for someone working a suicide hotline, lobbying to change laws to make life fair and equitable for all. Feels like some of the most important work there is, doesn't it? I want to talk about the support these leaders need, the support the clients deserve, and that enable organizations to maximize their impact. Do you think you've hired a rock star who doesn't need coaching? Are you a leader who feels they can't justify the expense? If I've hit the target with this podcast, I believe you may just have a change of heart. It's time to talk about what I see as an imperative for nonprofit leaders, professional development with coaching at the top. And if I can change the mindset of just a few of you listening, our sector will be the better for it. And it will have been a very good day at the office for me. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. So I've chosen to approach this topic by way of tackling objections. Instead of using objections, I've decided to talk about myths. There are a whole bunch of myths about nonprofits, professional development, and coaching. And I'm going to take them one by one, and I'm going to bust them. So let's start with number one. Myth number one, rock star executive directors do not need coaches. And I'm going to begin this myth by talking about Roger Federer. Full disclosure, I love Roger Federer. He's one of the single best tennis players in the world, and he has been for nearly 20 years. This old geezer of a tennis player is now 37, and he continues to win big tournaments. He totally gets that anyone who watches tennis and cares about sports see him as a gold standard, and he behaves that way. He models great, classy, gracious, gritty, and determined behavior, and he's dashing to boot. So why in God's name does someone like Roger Federer need a coach? He's kind of a perfect sports legend. What doesn't he know? What hasn't he learned? And yet Roger would never dream of walking onto center court anywhere without his coach in a family box. His coach has a vantage point Roger doesn't have. He can be a thought partner, an advocate, a champion, offer Roger a kick in the pants to motivate, to adjust, whatever it is that Roger needs to be the best. Roger has a coach, always has, always will. All right, now I want to talk about the CEO of a teen suicide hotline. 
Let's say this CEO is new to the nonprofit sector, but has every instinct and attribute that says she's got the goods. She oversees dozens of volunteers who respond to texts, answer phones, and literally this woman oversees a group of people who absolutely saves lives. Her work is life and death. I dare you to tell me that this woman does not need a coach in her family box. Now, I love Roger Federer, and sports is indeed a critical component of our culture. But the CEO I just described, you know, the one with the goods, really? No coach? If Roger had a coach on day one and is going to have one till the day he retires, superhero nonprofit leaders deserve nothing less. I believe I'm making the argument that they deserve that and more. So myth number one, rock star executive directors don't need coaches. Consider it busted. Here's another myth. We'll call it myth number two. Long tenured executive directors have seen it all and don't need a coach. There's a great article in The New Yorker from a couple of years back by a surgeon named Atul Gwande. Atul felt he was losing his edge. He was self-aware. So he hired a retired surgeon to be his coach, to watch him intently in the operating room. The coach could see what the surgeon could not, a minor adjustment, how he held his elbow. So one great role a coach can play is to breathe new life into a long and strong tenured executive director, help them think about a role that would invigorate them, stretch them, make staying highly attractive. The coach can help the leader sharpen skills or help the leader reinvent the job to offer CEO what feels like a brand new opportunity. When I ask CEOs with long tenures about the key to their longevity, they all say the same thing. My job has continued to change and evolve. I keep learning. I started out good, but I am so much better today. So a long and strong leader can use professional development to sharpen skills to maintain that A game when lots of others may just simply choose to run out the clock, benefiting no one not the clients, not the sustainability of the organization. We don't want CEOs running out clocks. So myth number two, long-tenured executive directors have seen it all, done it all, no need for a coach. Consider it busted. All right, here's myth number three. You ready? When founders or long and strong executive directors decide they're going to go, when they decide they're going to leave, it's time for a transition. They don't need coaches. All right, so this is myth number three. Someone who has decided it's time to go doesn't need a coach. Well, if you have ever played a role in an organization where there's been a transition of someone who's been around for a while, I don't know who doesn't need a coach, frankly. Transitions are not a solo sport. Long and strong executive directors, founders, they start to plan their transition. And I'm here to tell you that even if you've got a great relationship with your board, 
Your board members are not going to be your best thought partners on making the right kinds of decisions about what to do before you leave, how to leave, should you stay engaged, all of those questions that get gnarly and messy. Now, why do you think that board members are not your best thought partners? Because they're frantic. That's why. They'll be acting from a place of self-preservation and their stress will be off the charts. This process of transition almost requires its own strategic plan. What needs to get done before I leave? I work with folks like this all the time to try to get them motivated to clean up what I call the dust bunnies before they leave. To actually get them to think about, hey, do you want to set your successor up to succeed? Or do you want to saddle them with the challenge of managing out low performers? I can't tell you how many times I have had this conversation and how many times I have seen the latter. A new CEO arrives to a variety of messes that the retiring CEO just simply didn't have the energy to address or had developed a blind spot about them. Let me just say, this is a not-so-fine how-do-you-do for the new sheriff in town. So there it is, myth number three. Executive directors in transition do not need coaches. Consider that, yes, busted. So let's go on to myth number four. If you spent all that money to hire an executive search firm, why in the wide world of sports would the rock star you paid good money to hire, why would they need a coach? They're rock stars. Ah. I have had more conversations with recruiters than you can count, and they see the same thing I do. The search committee lands on Cindy as the new ED. They are over the moon about what Cindy brings. Search firm has done a great job. The task ahead of the new ED? Well, let's say it's just not small. Maybe it's following a founder, someone who stayed around for 25 years, just retired. Maybe the organization is shifting strategy, maybe moving to a new building. Something that requires the new CEO to be really, really good at navigating change. So this ED is part of contract negotiations. And please, 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 nonprofit leaders, think about offering your executive directors contracts. It's a good thing for both. Uh, I have a blog post on that. I'll link it below this podcast. As part of contract negotiations, here the ED says, I would like professional development uh, money for a coach. Well, (laughs) search committee is kind of gobsmacked. They can't wait to yell from the rooftops that they crushed this hire. Coaching just simply has no place in this new narrative, right? The search firm earned its fee. The board's search committee landed a rock star. And you need a coach for what? Um, I've busted a few myths. Go back to myth number one because it ties directly to this one, right? The brand new CEO you hired needs a coach more than at almost any time in the lifespan of his or her journey with your organization. So there's another myth, busted. Okay, I got another one for you. This is myth number five. A good coach 
can save a weak or faltering executive director. I don't think this is a coaching job at all. To pass muster with me as a coach, I have to believe that the client is coachable. The client has to be self-aware, acknowledge strengths, see areas of improvement. And the decision to bring in that coach has to rest with the executive director. If the board imposes a coach, says you've got to buck up, go get a coach, the dynamic is wrong. The ED has to be self-aware enough to say, hey, I just got this performance review and I want it to be different. I want it to be better. I want to be the best I can be for my organization, my board, and especially for the people I serve. But when the board calls, what they say to me is our ED is struggling and we need to know if she's salvageable. These boards don't want me to coach. They actually want me to assess whether or not this ED can cut it. Sometimes the board will even ask me to set goals with them. This is not how coaching works. And in fact, if you set it up this way, how do you think it feels to the executive director? It doesn't feel very good. But if that ED themselves says, okay, I see this performance review and I get where I have some vulnerabilities, I'd like to invest some organizational money in a coach so that I can tackle these issues. Do you hear and see the difference in the dynamic? So myth number four, a good coach can save a weak or faltering executive director. I say that myth is busted. Myth um, number six, I think it's number six. I usually am a very good counter, by the way. All right, here's another myth. No other kind of professional development but a coach will do the trick. Now, there are coaches at many different price points, but certainly organizations with small budgets may simply not have the funds. But boards should not only approve but encourage their staff leaders to seek out lower-cost opportunities. Some cities or states have gatherings for executive directors. Sometimes a community will have a local ED group. Sharing best practices, learning from one another, and creating a sense of community to address that loneliness that so many executive directors tell me they feel. Lots of state organizations and the national offices of chapter-based organizations, they have resources, conferences. These can be super helpful. So if your organization just simply can't stretch its budget for a coach, I encourage you to work together to come up with some good solutions. It It was this myth that led me to build a professional development resource for staff and board members of small to mid-sized nonprofits. You know, I started a blog a long time ago and I get kind of pummeled with emails with question after question from people I knew would not be able to afford a consultant or a coach, whether it was me or someone else. And we sat around and started to say, okay, how can we help these people? 
I mean, think about it, right? 1.5 million nonprofits, 67% of them have budgets under half a million dollars and a big, big percentage of those have budgets under 250. They need some help. And we started to think about how we could help those helpers with real actionable content, the kind of community that leaders need and crave all at some kind of a modest monthly fee. And so two years ago, we created the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. For a modest monthly fee, which is cancelable at any time, you get access to me, a team of experts at the ready to answer your questions. We've organized content so that you can guide through a particular topic. Let's say your particular area of focus during a given month is grant writing. You go to the grant writing roadmap and we put content in order. Some of it you can consume in five minutes, some a little bit longer. Some of it is material you can share with your board. We've really tried to make it as flexible for you as possible. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab has been impactful beyond my wildest dreams. We're closing in on 3,000 members from all across North America and around the world, Kenya, Ireland, Canada, Australia, and our community is richer for the diversity of experience that each leader brings. The content in the lab uses the principles that I have developed during my consulting and coaching practice, and these principles push leaders to think bigger, to be innovative, to try new ideas, and to engage their board in new and interesting ways. All members of the lab see results. They have tools they can use right away. And did I mention, it's one of the warmest, most generous groups of people I have ever had the privilege to be a part of. If you're listening to this episode around the time it first went out, we are right now in the middle of an open enrollment period for new lab members. And I encourage you to come check it out at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. If you find it's a good fit, and I kind of think you might, come join us. It will make an enormous difference for you and your organization. The doors only open every once in a great while to new members. And this time around, we will be open from September 19th through September 26th. After that, you can join our wait list so we can email you the next time we open the doors. We do this so that we don't spend all our time marketing and so that we create a new cohort or class a community to join the lab together. Again, to learn more and possibly join me and this remarkable community of nonprofit leaders, head on over to nonprofitleadershiplab.com. All right. So what is this podcast really about? For me, I want to whack you all upside the head that it's time for boards to enthusiastically embrace, no, encourage leaders to explore opportunities that help them to grow and develop as leaders. Create a development, a professional development plan with a new ED as part of the final interview process and make a commitment to include it as part of your compensation package. At the end of the day, you're hiring an executive director who can grow the scope and impact of the work of your organization and grow with that organization. It's just plain a no-brainer. Building the skills, the confidence, a sense of community 
for executive directors of nonprofits. It's a no-brainer. The jobs are hard, overwhelming, lonely. Board members can only be thought partners so far. And everybody wants you to be good at these jobs and needs you to be. The world is really counting on you. In Atoll Gawande, who's the surgeon who wrote the New Yorker article I mentioned, he did a TED Talk. You should, uh, we'll link below as well. He says something that should stick with every board member who hires an executive director. Every organization who sees a possibility of reaching more people having greater impact. And it is quite simply this. Great coaches offer a leader the external eyes and ears needed to provide a more accurate picture of reality from an outside perspective. I like that. I would add that the very best coaches are compassionate truth tellers. Don't retain a coach unless you're really ready to hear it. What they see could make a difference. Leave all your defense mechanisms at the door and make the most of it. Because the very best leaders hear the truth and make necessary adjustments. Until my sports hero, Roger Federer, is retired, he's not done. Each and every day, he can make one of those adjustments, shift his mindset, and continue to develop as one of the best sports figures of our time. Remember, my friends, board chairs, search committees, search firms, staff leaders, who, come on, be honest, you see professional development as a little bit of a luxury. I hope that this podcast has given you some really good food for thought. Our sector demands a change in mindset about this topic. You may have hired a wonderful executive director, and I hope you have. I hope you are that wonderful executive director. But remember, it's ultimately not about how good you are. It's about how good you're going to be. See you next time. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at JoanGary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at NonprofitLeadershipLab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.